and I was telling them like, listen, I just got drafted. And they're like, oh, you're going to the army. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, you think I'm a fighter or something? Like I've been in your class all year long and you didn't know I played basketball, nice. So. <laughs> Another season in the books, the podcast featuring current and former professional athletes. They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week on the pod. I've been MIA for the last month or so, spending some time with family and friends, disconnecting from the media world, but now I'm back and it's my absolute pleasure to bring you this week's interview with the funny, sincere, and seasoned overseas vet, Tanea Atkinson. Tanea values family and knows the power of a good support system. So leaving home to play for Temple University wasn't always easy. But she made it through and looks back on her college years with appreciation and gratitude. Since college, she has spread her wings even more, playing seasons in Australia and Spain. Nay's got great stories and wisdom to share. So listen in. Here she is. Tanea Atkinson, buenos dias. How are you? How are you feeling after another uh, professional season has been completed? Another year under the belt? Um, I'm feeling good. I feel like there's a lot of things that I could work on still. You know, there's always room for improvement. But overall, I'm just happy I went through the season healthy with COVID happening. Got to finish out the season with no stops. So I'm definitely excited for what's coming next yeah you were you were born in 1996 so I've got 10 years on you (laughs) and if you you know with a growing a grower's mentality in the next 10 years I mean you could improve not to say that you have so much to improve on but I'm just saying like you could add a lot to your game over the next few years so um, that's exciting yeah and so now that the season, the season for you has been over for about a week and a half. Yes. So how do you generally take that time right after the season? Like you just like to decompress, rest, kind of get away from the game a little bit? Well, yeah, usually I reflect a lot on the season. You know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's no. But I think, you know, looking at everything now from a postseason standpoint, especially not being in postseason, you look at things that could have been done different, things that, you know, you wish you could do different that you can't. But right now, you know, I'm just taking the vacation time, going to the gym and, you know, trying to stay as fit as possible while enjoying my time off. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. First question, getting into the podcast. Uh, tell me, what, what do you think is your first sports memory as a little girl? doesn't have to be basketball, just um, your first yeah, one. So I think my first ever sports memory is definitely playing with my brothers in a peewee tournament, which is baseball. And I got into that based off of my brothers, you know, I actually was horrible at baseball, but, you know, just being with my family and getting into the competitive, you know, spare, I felt like that made me open up to other sports, but definitely playing baseball, I think, opened up the jars of competitive, competitive with me. Uh-huh. Um, I did see online that you lettered in softball and soccer in yes. high school. So yes. you, you started baseball as a little girl and it stuck with you for a while. Yes. So softball, I actually, you know, 
picked up on it better than I did as a kid in high school. Soccer, uh, I actually love soccer. I think soccer and basketball goes hand in hand, regardless of that it's a foot sport and basketball is more hands, but I think it works with footwork and agility wise. So I try to stick with both of those heavy in high school. So basketball could be a lot more easier for me. Okay. And uh, people maybe don't know this in Europe, but baseball for girls in the States or softball is also called fast pitch. So you were playing fast pitch, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And what position did you play? I play outfield. So I was out there, you know, catching home run hits, ending it, kicking it to second base. But definitely, I do miss definitely soccer and softball a lot. But basketball, I think, is where I think I could have been most successful at. So yeah. What was your position in soccer? Middle field, center. So So you were running. Yeah, I was in action, you know, grabbing some yellow cards a little bit. (laughs) But... (laughs) Do you have a favorite soccer team here in Spain? Like, do you still enjoy watching it on television and whatnot? Listen, soccer, well, football in Europe, honestly, it's always the competition between Madrid and Barca, you know, even with teammates that I've had in Spain, it's always the, what team you like better, you know, because it's always people are with Madrid, people with Barca. For me, I actually like Paris. Yeah, I like Neymar. One of my favorites. Okay. See, I don't really follow soccer that closely. So I'm not even familiar with the Paris soccer team. But if you say so, because Neymar, he's he's Spanish, right? No, I think he's Brazil. Okay. I shouldn't even say it because I'm just embarrassing myself. (laughs) Yeah, but that's that's my boy. Okay. Um, and you talked about your family, your brothers got you into baseball. And I have a question. Does the letter T, uh, run in your family? Because I saw that your mom is Tamika, your dad is Timothy, you're Tanea, your brother's Terrell, and then your sister is Brittany. Yes. So basically like with under my mom and dad, they try and keep it with the T's, but between my mom and my sister her dad is different dads you know and then there's different moms from my dad having kids with different women too so but my my steady home with you know my mom and dad under it there's t's everywhere me like you said timothy tamika terrell tanea is t's everywhere yeah, which I thought was funny because I have cousins that are Chelsea, Chester, Chase, and Chad. Yeah, um, so <laughs> which I see the family a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when would you say, well, because you have older siblings, I'm assuming that, yes, you grew up in a sports-minded family? Yes. Did your parents play sports at all? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I'm not sure where, you know the athleticism and things like that happened. No, wait, my dad played baseball, but it was like, you know, rec type of thing. He didn't really take it as serious. My brothers, he played baseball and basketball, but again, it was like rec. I think I just followed it more through. I think by the time it was my time to play and get serious about sports, you know, I had everything behind me that I needed, you know, like, and I know it's big with sports with, having a support system, you know, I feel like if your support system is strong, it's a lot easier to play these competitive sports and being away from home, knowing that you have a support system behind you, you know, usually like I can say for my brother, when my brother was started playing sports because we're seven years apart. So by the time he started getting real good, I was young. My mom really couldn't be at games and do things because she had to take care of the household, you know? So I think that definitely played a part in his successes growing up with the support system. But I'm just happy I have everyone around for me who wants to see me do well and, you know, support me throughout the way. Yeah, I also think about being the the youngest child because I'm the baby in my family as well. And 
uh, the advantage of just being able to see your older siblings, watch them, learn from them, right. be, your, exactly. be around the sport. Right. It's got to have an influence. Yes, for sure. I mean, even with my brother, you know, sometimes I felt like I was taking his dream away from him because he loved basketball. He loved baseball. He loved to be sports active, you know. But then, you know, decisions are made as you grow up and sometimes you got to live by these decisions that you make. But at the same time, like he always tell me, like, I'm living out my dream for him, too. You know, since he didn't get to do the things that I'm doing or he didn't get to travel or play AAU basketball and be in a way and going to college and now playing overseas. You know, these are things that a lot of my people don't even have passports, you know, so it's like things that my family look at and they are proud of. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I'm sure he's extremely proud of his little sister. Um, so, okay. You come from a sports minded family. Um, when did you think you realized that you could make like have a future in basketball or even receive a college scholarship? When do you think that kind of popped into your head? Right. So when I was in middle school, I started playing basketball when I was about 13, like serious basketball where, you know, I got on like these teams, got in some leagues growing up. And I think it was my middle school year. I think it was like seventh grade year. And I remember I told my mom and my dad, like, yeah, I'm going to try out for the basketball team. Dude, like child for the basketball team. I don't know. And then I ended up making a team, you know, I made junior varsity. And then it was like, you know what? I'm actually good at what I'm doing. And then they moved me to varsity as, you know, first year, 13 year old. And I actually was pretty good at it. And even my dad, he was like, listen, I'm surprised. You know, I didn't know you put this much passion into basketball and I didn't know you know, you had this skill set because we never really paid attention to it. You know, like at home, we have a basketball hoop in my backyard. I live in a house that I have back home with my parents from when I was little. I think from what I can remember from when I was like five, six years old, we lived there. We always had basketball hoops. So even me being outside, it's like, oh, she's just outside, not like she's perfecting a craft that we know nothing about, you know? And I think that surprised them when they came to the games or they started coming to practices and seeing my dedication and, you know, my skill level at that age for me to be new at basketball. So then, like I said, the support system came through, it settled in, you know, they started paying for trainers, you know, individual training and AAU teams and just regular circuits that I got to get some exposure and I got into like the right hands growing up and people took me in as one of theirs and they helped me out big for basketball. When did you start playing AAU? Um, I started playing AAU the following year. So when I was 14, okay. started getting into some clubs where I'm from in New Haven. And then I started going out in New York too. Okay. So you were going into like eighth grade or ninth grade? Yes. Okay. Yeah, AAU uh, for Europeans that are listening that don't know what that is, but it's like amateur athletic union, I think maybe. And um, you just play all summer long and you travel and you go to all these tournaments, but I'm sure you had a really good competition just right there close to your house being somewhat close to New York and um, even in Connecticut. So do you remember when your first collegiate letter came in the mail or like when, probably not, I don't know. I think I started receiving some interest, I think my freshman year in school, so two years, and I started receiving some, you know, just interest mail, not offers, you know, but interest from local teams around like Quinnipiac and Hamden, Connecticut. I started getting some stuff from them, UNH, you know. UNH is a low D1, D2 type of team, but I didn't start getting like offers, I don't think until sophomore year, junior year, because I committed in junior year okay. to, to university. Did you ever go to any like collegiate camps? Uh, when yeah. You were yeah, so I definitely went to uh, almost all the camps I could think of on the East Coast. Like I went to, like I said, the Quinnipiac camp. I went to James Madison. I went to Temple University, Hofstra, Hartford, anything up East Coast, 
which I had hit up all the camps, Virginia Tech. I went to a lot of camps, even if it wasn't, you know, uh, we have interest in you. It was one of those things where you just get exposure because maybe someone on my AAU team has an offer from them. So it's like, you know, we're going to invite your whole AAU team and you could come in as an AAU team camper or you could come in as an individual camper. So just getting those type of exposures growing up definitely opened my eyes to a lot of different things. And it made my decision easier when I got to see firsthand from how, you know, colleges treat people who they want to go there. You know, it's like it's a different treatment from, uh, okay, this kid is someone who we're offering. And then there's this kid who's at camp because they're with someone who we're offering, you know. So just knowing how to learn how to play the game early and, you know, realize and pick up on some things that I wouldn't know because I don't have no one to really, you know, help me out about that. Like I told you growing up, I didn't have no one who I could ask questions to about college and things like this because I didn't have that, you Mm -hmm. know, luxury as growing up Mm -hmm. with my siblings. How close is Yale from your hometown or from your home? It's probably like 10 minutes, literally. Yeah, yeah, university is right downtown New Haven, and it's not far at all. You know, okay. I actually go to Yale to work out in the summertime. Okay. It was a facility. Because obviously the Ivy League, I mean, schools like Harvard, Princeton, oh. Yale, Europeans, they know those schools. Yeah. Um, what can you tell me about Yale? I'm sure I've never been there. Uh, is the campus beautiful? I'm sure. I mean, listen, the campus is like literally right in the heart of New Haven, you know? So it's like, city. It's, I don't even think there's much gentrification down there because it's so, in the heart of New Haven, it's so hard to, you know, change out buildings for bigger buildings for Yale, you know, because these are people homes, you know, people live there, and, you know, but I think Yale has a beautiful campus. The thing is like, as soon as you walk two minutes off, you're going to know you're off campus. That's the only thing that I can say about Yale. Downtown is a beautiful area. And even with Yale students, you know, Yale students definitely, I think, love the area regardless of you know things they may see that's maybe different for them because for new haven it's a lot different in aspects of what you see like for anyone who don't know about yale yale is like you said one of the top ivy league schools you know science you when you think of yale you think of okay this person's gonna be a doctor this person's gonna be a scientist this person is gonna you know thrive in education and it's so cool that, you know, it's that type of, I want to say like that type of mindset towards people and then reality, where when you go to Yale, you see exactly what's around Yale. And it's like, wow, these students are actually, you know, trying to prepare themselves for after college. And they're going through real life things in New Haven, where it's, you know, New Haven has a lot of gang violence, New Haven has a lot of, you know, different type of tragedies that happen where, you know, people losing their lives and things like that. So I definitely give Yale students the utmost credit for being able to focus and, you know, still knowing their reason and purpose on going there and not being distracted. Interesting. I I had no idea. I had never heard that perspective. So thank you for sharing. Um, (laughs) So, all right. So you start getting recruited, uh, and you started receiving offers your sophomore year. What do you think was important to you when you were going through that process? Like, did you, cause I look back at my um, journey and I don't even think I knew what to ask. I don't even think I knew really what I was looking for. Um, did you have any idea like what your preferences were or what, what uh, requirements you wanted your university to fulfill at all? Yes, I mean, for me, like, it would be my first time away from home. And, you know, I think it wasn't about me being scared of distance, but it was the supportive and my support group that I was worried about most because, you know, I leaned on them throughout high school. And even when I started playing sports, I had them. So I felt like I needed to go somewhere where I felt like they could be my second family. You know, like if I can't get in touch with my mom or my mom can't get here, 
do I have someone who can help me as if they were a mother figure to me? You know, do I have sisters on my team where if I can't contact my sister, or I need help and I can't get in contact with them. Do they have my back? You know, I feel like growing up, I went through some things and I felt like the trust part was the biggest thing for me when signing and being away from home for four years, you know, it's like, I need to be able to trust these people who I'm with. I need to be able to be comfortable and be my own self within also applying to the job that I'm here to do, which is, you know, go to school, get a degree and also play basketball. Which can be difficult as a uh, future student athlete, because like you said before, colleges tend to treat people differently if they want you at their school or not. And they tend to tell you everything that you want to hear. Um, and when you're going through the process, that's difficult. But so when you committed, uh, you went to Temple, yes, correct, in Philadelphia? Yes. Um, when you committed, was that head coach and their assistant coaches, were they the same ones that were there when you got there? Yes, they stayed throughout the whole year. We switched out one assistant coach for another coach, but he came in and he also treated us like he knew us forever. You know, it wasn't a never dull moment with our coaches. I felt like they had promises to us and we had promises to them. Like before we came to the school, they asked us, like, what do you want or where do you want to see yourself within these next four years? So we have an understanding on how to push you in a way where we can get you there. Or we have an understanding on what buttons not to push. Like if you telling me you wanna play professional or you wanna to go to the WNBA or you wanna be overseas playing, you need to know what type of way we need to push you. Because with my coach, she played with Dawn Staley in Virginia. She played pro a little bit. My assistant coach played at UConn. My head coach coached assistant at UConn. So these people know what it takes to be a pro. You know, they know the sacrifice and they know all the hard work you have to put in. So I was glad that they had those conversations with us in the beginning of before we even got there. You know, they made sure to understand and know how to treat the players and talk to the players within knowing also what they want for themselves. Because I had teammates who say, you know, I'm good at basketball, but I want to be a doctor. So if I could get my degree and I could go to school four years and then pay four more years, I'm only paying for it, you know? So as much as I want to compete and do things, I know my priority first is being a doctor, not a basketball player. So I think that's very important for people to know the difference and especially knowing your players and wanting to learn about your players instead of just, you know, pushing them to a limit where, you could either make or break them, you know? Mm -hmm. Which uh, the last interview I did was with Abby Wolf. I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you, but she's also from Connecticut. Um, and she played for Barca this year in Liga Challenge and played in Zamora last year. But um, I asked her the same question. What do you think about the transfer portal? Because these days, it seems like so many players are in the portal and so many players are looking to transfer. But it sounds like in your situation, you were able to commit to a team where you felt good about your decision, you felt good about the people around you, and that probably helped you to then enjoy your four years and stay there. But now people are changing all over the place. Right. And it's so crazy now with the portal, even, you know, the likeliness that they have now in student athletes, because now kids could get paid off of their likeliness, their jersey sales, they could get into NIL deals where they're just making money, you know, and it's crazy because growing up, we didn't have that luxury. We had conference checks, maybe FAFSA if you could get it, Pell Grant, you know, but now it's so different where even with the transport portal you could transfer to a team and play right away the problem what we had was even with you know transferring say if you don't like a team it's like do I don't like this team long enough to sit out a whole year or can I stick it out just to get through these four years because now you transfer you play right away before you transfer you got a red shirt you got to sit a year then you have to come back so it's like do I really hate this team this much to leave and sit out an extra year and then play and now I got three more years of extra it's like you 
could pick and choose, but now I think these kids now are so spoiled. Like <laughs> you get paid off of people buying your jerseys, you get paid off of, you know, having sponsors and it's so different now. I don't even know what's going on now. <laughs> I can't even believe it because it's like all the kids are getting whatever they want. But when basketball was, you know, tough and hard, it's like we had to fight it out and get through the year with a conference check, or we had to get through a year hoping we get fast for extra money. And these kids are just getting paid because people like them. It's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> it's different. I'm telling you. It's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I'm so far removed from college and I don't really have close friends that are playing anymore. So I actually wasn't even aware they're getting paid for I mean, Jersey sales, and I don't know what else you said. Now they get NIL deals where they could sign with, like even Paige Beckers, I think she signed with Steph Curry. So it's so much different things you could do now in the college world. And it's so crazy because it's like, before we would get in trouble for, you know, posting or tagging someone that's not sponsored for you. Like say if, Temple is Nike. If I post unarmor, we will get in trouble for that. Nowadays, if you post whatever you want, you get more money. You could be sponsored by local pizza places and get paid from. It's crazy now in college. It's unbelievable. <laughs> wow. I had no idea. You're opening my, you're blowing my mind right now. And um, can Paige Beckers went to the high school that I went to, actually. Yeah. Yep. Minnesota. Whoop, whoop. So, yes. NIL. It's for sponsored content on social media, promoting brands and products using their name, image, and likeliness without facing penalties such as scholarship reductions or threats to their eligibility. Name, image, and likeness. (laughs) It's crazy, I'm telling you. It's crazy. Part of me thinks, yeah, when we were college athletes, that would have been awesome. But now that we didn't have that, we look back and we're like, oh, well, we were pure and we were, you know, like in it for it's the sport. compared where it's like people are more into the Instagram than playing college basketball, you know? It's definitely a different, but at the end of the day, you know, times revolve, you know? Things get different. There's different generations, different things that could work in this generation that maybe wouldn't have worked in our generation, you know, or your generation. Right. You know, I think... And- a lot of people use that argument that the NCAA makes a lot of money off of men's and women's basketball, especially during tournament time. And so some people argue that, yes, those players do deserve some of that money because they're the ones, you know, working. Right. Right. But at the same time, it is kind of strange, right? Because we always just think of collegiate athletes not being professional and, um, they get their education paid for and they get some other money to help them along the way. But uh, yeah, that's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, so switching, switching gears a little bit, did you know that you wanted to be a communications major uh, when you got to school? I was a communications major. Um, so I floated everywhere in school. You know, I started as a sports tourism hospitality at STHM. I started there. And I was really into sports management heavy. And then, of course, you know, when it comes down to the season and you have practice, you have games, you have study hall, you have all these things, you know, when it comes down to industry hours, it was hard. So then I switched over to the communication, media studies and production. And I started doing that, but I also had a minor in pharmacy. So I literally try and get the best out of everything that I could get inside of those four years for free. You know, so if I could do open my mind to, you know what, let me see what it's like to be a pharmacist. Let me get into some science. Let me get into some math. And then, you know, it's like this this is really overwhelming. So I moved it to a minor, which was a lot easier. And then I got into, you know, the sports commentating. So in college, I had an internship with ESPN. I did some things in the sports commentary, play-by-play. I worked with volleyball. And I worked with soccer, which was dope, I think. And so I just tried to test the waters those four years while also playing basketball. I think it was dope. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome that you got to do some sort of internship because I think for a lot of athletes, at least in my case, it was always basketball, basketball, basketball. I got to be there in the summers. I got to be there. And I never even thought about trying to get an internship anywhere because I was like, oh, but then I'm going to have to miss or I'm not going to be around. And, you know, so good for you. And ESPN, Connecticut is the home of ESPN, right? Exactly. So it was a little bit easier to pull some strings. (laughs) It was definitely easier. I'm not going to lie. Coming back, uh, I think my senior year, I was Connecticut player of the year. So, you know, having just, you know, some type of strings you could pull is also dope. But I think I was serious at the time about what I wanted to do. You know, I wasn't just saying I want to do the ESPN commentating just to do it. This was something that I put work into throughout college. And I felt like I wanted to see if it was a good fit for me or think about things after basketball because you can't play basketball forever, you know? So just having your name out there and some internships and, you know, even on my LinkedIn account, I'm still heavy on LinkedIn. I still, you know, write back to people who, you know, write to me. I try and keep it very to the point where it's like, okay, if the ball starts bouncing today, what you have tomorrow, you know? And I always like to have a backup plan for almost everything, so. That's great because really, I mean, like I said before, you could play for another 10 years if you want to. However, that's being healthy. That's, you know, not having any major injuries and those types of things, you just never know when they could happen. So um, it's nice to hear you talk about LinkedIn and just, uh, kind of keeping relevant uh, with stuff around you. So when you got to college, did you feel like that adaptation process was uh, difficult uh, as far as like training and getting to class, uh, balancing all of it? What would you, what do you think were some of the obstacles and what kind of advice would you give to future athletes, college athletes? Um, I definitely would just say embrace the moment. I think a lot of times when you first get to college, you have so many expectations for yourself on what you want to do. Like I said, even with, I think it was a good thing that my coaches did ask what we wanted to do in four years. But I think at that time, we should have just, you know, slowed down and embraced the moment. Whereas you're in college, it's your freshman year, you know, you're going to go through ups and downs and you're going to go through hard times where you want to quit. Because right now you don't know any fight, you know, you're young, you're 17, 18 years old, maybe. And I think you're away from home for most people. Some people stay home for college, but you're away from home. You're away from everything that makes you comfortable. And instead of embracing what you have in front of you right now, looking forward four years is very tough because now you put pressure on yourself to be what you expect yourself or you look at yourself to be. So I definitely would just say embrace the moment and, you know, take it day by day because, with college is a long season, a long season. Whether you go through summer school, whether you go through postseason, preseason, it's a long season. And when it comes down to basketball and on top of studies, getting proper sleep, making sure you're eating the proper food, it's so much that could damage so many people. And I know a lot of people I play with in basketball in college who don't even want to play back, don't even want to pick up a basketball anymore, you know? So I think it's about how you go through with your process and what exactly do you want out of it? And I think you only know that by going day by day, looking forward is too much. I think it's too much pressure for yourself, especially at a young age. It's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure and we're seeing more and more um, just things in the media about mental health and, uh, the health of athletes, because uh, it's a lot. I mean, I look back in my freshman year, I was like, I needed a nap every day before practice. Otherwise, I didn't think I was going to be able to make it through. And then by the time senior year came along, I was like, I got this, you know, but that first year, it's just a lot on your plate coming at you. Um, so with those ups and downs that you faced, uh, how would you say that you went about kind of dealing with more so the downs did you so the good thing that we did have access to a lot at Temple University is we had a sports psychologist where they traveled with us was at practice you know even off days you would come in 
you know, if you want to book a 30 minute session, hour session, you book it. And sometimes the sports psychology is not just about sports, you know, it's about bigger things. Whereas if say you're missing your parents, you're missing your family back home. These are things you could talk about with them instead of, you know, talking to a, a very competitive coach where it's like, listen, I miss my people back home. So I'm not really playing well. A coach is going to be like, listen, you signed up for this. This is your job right now. You know, like you want to be a basketball player. You got to go through this. You got to go through that. And I think for sure the sports psychology that we had at Temple really, you know, he weathered a few storms where even for me, I felt like when I was going through things with depression, anxiety, these type of things was really cool that we had to talk to uh, psychology about it because it's like, for me, I'm not really into therapy. Uh, I mean, I try to do some type of therapy here and there, but opening up is very difficult for me. So I think of not having the therapist name on the door and sports psychology, you look at it a few ways different, I think. Well, especially for me, I can say that. Yeah. It's great to hear to hear that from someone who's a little younger than I am because we had a sports psychologist, but they came like once or twice and it wasn't something consistent. But right. I think now in today's world, uh, a lot of programs will have those resources available and um, it's important. So Yes, 100%. And sports psychologist, he was literally at games, he traveled, practiced whenever we needed, literally just text, make your appointment. And I think that was the best thing ever. So when you think back to your college years, is there anything specific, like when you just think about the whole experience um, that makes you smile, that makes you cringe, that makes you feel thankful? So like before, I want to say, for me, I think I always was like a background player in college, you know, like I started my full freshman and sophomore year, junior year, I was injured with a concussion. So when I came back, the team was doing good. So they told me like, you know what, we're not gonna switch up the rhythm. We're gonna bring you off the bench. You know, that definitely, I think, whew, mentally, it definitely took a toll on me because it's like, I started literally 30 games straight my freshman year, 30 games straight my sophomore year. The first half of junior year starting then, I'm pulled out the starting lineup. And, you know, like my coach said, the team is moving right now. You know, we're winning games that we're not supposed to win. You know, we're playing well. It's a chance to go to NCAAs. And, you know, taking the backseat to that definitely was kind of a breaking point for me where I felt like, you know what, I don't know what to do. But I think as a now that I'm a lot more mature, I like the way that I went. It showed me, you know, patience definitely showed me some adversity and I'm happy I got through it. My senior year is was my breakout year, I could say. You know, I wasn't doing nearly anything that I was doing my years before my senior year. So I think that was the huge turning point where, you know, I was humbled a little bit where I was used to being a starter, coming in young, freshman, sophomore, half of my junior and then sit and then come back my senior year and play how I played. I think that was really big and definitely was a turning point for me for the positive though. Yeah. Well, I think it's good. Like you said before, to, to have adversity and to get through it and then to be able to look back and know that, Hey, I did that, you know, and I'm better off for it. Um, okay. So senior year comes around at the end of your senior year, I mean, you set several scoring records, rebounding records. Did you assume, did you know that you were going to get drafted? Um. So before, no, I'm telling you, my senior year was, uh, was <laughs> I'm telling you, my senior year was unbelievable for me, I could say, you know, like I broke, like you said, I broke the scoring I was second all-time men and women scoring, second all-time, a thousand rebounds, a thousand points. You know, those are milestones that, you know, sometimes I look back and think like, how the hell did it win the hell? Did it like it's like, whoa, I can't believe it. But you know, 
like I was telling you, the day by day things, like I struggled bad my junior year after my concussion. I felt like it was a point where once I came out from my concussion my junior year, I think we lost like three back-to-back games to teams we were supposed to win. And that made me even make my concussion worse, I'm sure, because I was stressing, thinking about things I shouldn't be thinking about, trying to rush back, get the concussion test clean and clear so I could play. And only thing I was doing was damaging myself more. But I think from the outcome of my junior year of us going to the NCAA is the first time for me. And just having that experience, I think that put so much drive to me in my senior year. And one of my best friends, Aaliyah, she tore her ACL in summer workouts. So she was supposed to be the one, you know, she was supposed to be the one that goes to the WNBA. She was supposed to be the one that gets, you know, player of the year, first team all conference. He's supposed to be that player. And I think I had big shoes to fill, but like I said, with support system and having people behind you, they really showed me that, you know, this is your team and we need you to take over. If it's too much for you, you let us know. But right now we think you can handle it. And I took it with me and I worked my ass off and I try and be the best I could be. And granted, we didn't win a lot of games my senior year, but I think me as a player, I definitely, that year turned me into a pro, I think, more or less, you know, because years before, of course, I had dreams of going to the WNBA, but in reality hits you somewhere in college, you know. College is a very humbling experience where you play against great players. Like we played against UConn, every year, three times a year, three, maybe two times conference come around, you played them three times. It's humbling. I'm telling you, <laughs> you're just getting your ass kicked all year around. Like it's humbling. Who, but, who was playing for UConn when you were there? My freshman year? Pah. Brianna Stewart, uh, Gabby Williams, Stephanie Dawson, Mariah Jefferson. You got Katie Lou didn't come in until I think my junior year, my my sophomore year. But yes, you're playing against these people every day, or you know, you know you have to play them because they're in your conference. You gotta go to Connecticut where I'm from to go. And you know, I have almost a hundred people there to see me play, but it's UConn, so we're losing by 50. You know, it's like <laughs> it's a humbling experience. <laughs> but listen, college, phew, college is I really think like if you have the opportunity to go to college I, I don't see why not unless you know for Europeans it's like if you can make good money and you're on good teams and you're having this experience I think college is the next best thing to you know having the adversity and going through things you need to go through because these are really like I don't want to say it's like a job, but it's like a job. Like we're not getting paid, but they're paying our 40K tuition a year to play there. You know, they're paying for books. They're paying for food. They're paying for apartments. And the only difference is that we're not making the income, but it's going towards something bigger, you know, than just money in your pocket with being a pro. Yep. So, okay. Back to the draft. Where were you when you got drafted? So I remember my agent called me and he was like, listen, right now, we don't know if you're going to get drafted or not. We talked to some teams. They're very interested in you. If you don't get drafted, you're going to go to camp. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to camp. I don't get drafted. Cool. It's whatever. So then next thing you know, my agent texts me again, like, make sure you had, this is when the draft was just starting. My people wanted to do like the draft party and things like that. I'm like, listen, I'm not doing a draft party and my name don't come up on the board. <laughs> like, people didn't celebrate for me to get drafted and the draft is over and my name wasn't called. Like, I don't want to go through that right now. It's got to be the worst. And you know what I'm saying? And it's people who are supposed to get drafted or who had, you know, was on the mock draft board. And one time come the draft, they're not chosen. And those type of things have to be devastating. 
or even a little bit, you just, know. Especially right. if you're all dressed up and you're at the draft. I'm assuming there are people that are at the draft that don't even end up getting drafted. And it's and don't get me wrong, the experience is cool, but don't nobody want to go through that. Like it's a lot of pressure for one from your family. The people around you are expecting this big moment and for it not to happen. It's so many questions on why not? What happened? What why this didn't happen? I thought that it's too much. So for me, I was home this day, chilling on the couch. My mom is like, listen, if you don't want to do a draft party, I'm gonna go to work. I'm going to work. So she went to work. I'm just home. It's me and Diego, my dog, chilling on the couch. And then <laughs> Next thing you know, someone called me and I'm like, I look at the time, so I'm like, I hello. And then it was DC, the Mystics. And it was like, listen, we want you here at camp. We want to see what you could do. We watched you at the combine, the WNBA combine. You're athletic. There's things that, of course, you need to work on. Your rookie, every rookie has things they need to work on, but we would love for you to experience this with us. And even from that experience, yes, I got cut down the line, but being able to be around Deladon and to be able to be around uh, Monique, all of these players who are really good, you know, who are great damn near. And that year they won the WNBA finals. So even with that, it's like, wow. And I was in camp with these people and they just won the WNBA finals. So all the work that we was putting in preseason, it, it was something whether I made the team or whether I didn't I'm happy I got to be around these people you know mm -hmm. so when you got that call school was still in session right weren't you still in college did you then have to fly out and go to training camp before college ended so what happened was um right I was in school but by this time it's my senior year. So at this point, I finished all my big classes. Now it was just electives, you know? So I talked to, I was at home because I didn't have to be on campus because I had online classes. You know, as a senior, you could do things like online classes and other electives that doesn't really matter really, but you need them to graduate. So I was doing these things. So when I got the call, you know, I went back to Philly and then I was talking to some of uh, my professors and I was telling them like, listen, I just got drafted. And they're like, oh, you're going to the army. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> like, you think I'm a fighter or something? Like I've been in your class all year long and you didn't know I played basketball, nice. So, <laughs> so I'm like, no, into the WNBA and things like this. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We're just, you know. For you PowerPoints, when it's time to take tests, you know, you send it over, I send you it virtually and we do it that way. So I was still taking the rest of my electives. And then once I went down to DC, cause it's not far from Philadelphia, it's probably like an hour and a half train ride. So once I got down there, you know, I was still doing schoolwork while doing training camp, while doing individual workouts. It was tough. It was tough, but I finished it out. I left training camp. I, they let me come back to graduate and walk, came back. And then shortly after that, the season was starting. So he started cutting people. Your professors thought you were drafted into the army. <laughs> I'm like, man, what? <laughs> yes, because I'm the violent one in the classroom. Like, <laughs> cool. That is hilarious. Um, okay, so you go out to Washington um, or go to Washington and did you just feel like the level was whoosh, like so much higher than what you were used to? So I actually, when I first got there, everyone wasn't there yet. It was like the rookies could come early, get some workouts in, get your jitters out a little bit, meet the coaching staff, meet some of the players. So we did that. Um, I think the competition definitely was skyrocketed from college to WNBA, 100%. I mean, but one thing I can say about these type of players, like especially Della Don, she welcomed us with 
open arms, you know, like if we wanted an extra workout, she was there helping, you know, things that she on her caliber don't have to do, but just because she's a very nice person, she was doing it, you know? And I think a lot of times things like that aren't talked about enough because you have these great players and they're only known for basketball, but it's like these people are still human and they have some, you know, humanity where they're good people too. You know, it's not just, I'm a good basketball player and I know I'm gonna make the team so I don't have to be here. No, she was helping us. She was giving us advice. We were going to lunch. We were doing things where even if you knew you weren't gonna make the team, you felt a part of the family, you know? And I feel like that's really big, especially with big time players that they have those type of personalities. But the level was really good. Like the level was unbelievable. Like they have this chart. I'm not sure if they still do it, but they have these charts in the gym where it's like the most consecutive shots you can make in a row. And Della John's at like 73, where she hasn't missed 73 shots in a row. And I'm just looking at her like, it's no way. <laughs> 70, like, and she's still going. Like, I'm like, listen, this is a different type of dedication. This is a different type of workout, you know, like maybe I can make three in a row and maybe the fourth one. <laughs> like if I make the fourth one, I'll make the fifth one. But it was just amazing, you know, like, and I'm fans of these type of players, you know, and it's, it's crazy where it's like, you dream of these type of things. And then when it's right here in your face, you starstruck by it, but it definitely was a cool experience. For sure. Yeah. I follow Della Don on Instagram and she seems like a pretty cool person. Um, also, also a dog lover as you are too. Yeah. Yes, her dog is a little bigger than yours though I think I think she got two great Danes bigger than her I think <laughs> the dog is huge <laughs> yeah what kind of dog do you have I have a Yorkshire okay yeah. and his or her name is Diego ah Diego I was gonna say something about that before I'm like how did you pick a Spanish name when that was before you even came to Spain right or were you yeah. in Spain it wasn't my idea to name Diego Diego. Okay. So I got the dog in my senior year of college, the beginning of my senior year. Diego's going to be turning five in August. A big milestone for him. He's <laughs> but I did not name him. You know, I let my nephew name him. He likes Diego, Dora, you know, them type of characters. So I'm like, you know what, Diego? I like Diego. Why not? I was going to name Diego something probably stupid anyway. But Diego's cute. It's friendly. You know. It's not <laughs> a bug. Did you see the bug just now? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So then the mystics say thank you, but no thank you. And right. you head back home and then immediately were you talking to your agent? Like, all right, let's do the overseas thing. Listen, so after I got cut, he basically told me, you know what? I have another experience for you. You want to do it is to put money in your pocket. Make sure you still in shape before you get the real overseas experience. And I'm like, okay, talk to me. What you got? So we could send you to Australia. I'm like, Australia. And he's like, yeah, you can go to Australia. You can play in the QBL. This team is going to offer you an uh, NBL job, too, if you like it, you know. So I was in Australia, Queensland, for a little bit. Queensland, hmm. Australia. It was a dope experience. And then while I was there, I got the offer from Tenerife, mm -hmm. second division. And I'm like, listen, second division, I just came from the WNBA camp, did these things, and I could only get second division. And he's like, listen, a lot of things about second division, there's a lot of, you know, thoughts and opinions on it. But for the Spanish league, second division is probably better than a lot of first divisions in other countries. You know, it's competitive. And the team they're going to is also fighting to get promoted to first division which will open a lot more doors for you, you know? So I went with it. I'm like, you know what? I Googled Tenerife. I'm like, listen, this look like a resort. I mean, 
why not? I've never seen nothing like this in my life before. Let's go for it. Went there, played well, got promoted, and now I'm in first division. So that first year was second division, and then the following two years, you were got the team was in first division. Yes. So after I came here my first year when we were in second division, my that year, my very first year, we got promoted in the first division. And then we stayed there from that year last year. So it was it was a fun experience. Yeah. Well, hey, congratulations to you for going to Australia and then going to, you know, Tenerife because your support system, you went to school about three and a half hours away from your hometown and all of a sudden you're right. going all the way across the world to Australia. That's a long flight. Um, so I'm proud of you. Flight. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, okay. We're, we got to get to the end of this interview a little bit, but um, what would you take away from your experience in Tenerife, like outside of basketball? Did you have a car? Did they, were you able to go explore? Um, yeah, so I had a car. I had my own apartment. I think the best thing was having a car because Tenerife is a very dope island. I went to go see the volcano. I went to go see the south of Tenerife, which is more touristy, like, you know, you're going to see a lot of Americans on the south of Tenerife. And the experience off the court was definitely, you know, I think it was, I didn't imagine Tenerife to be what it was because I was so into the basketball world, you know, but once I got to visit different things and meet different people outside of basketball, I think that opened my eyes up to uh, explore side that I'm not really used to, you know, I'm not used to walking up mountains and, you know, seeing the volcano and I'm not used to, you know, <laughs> I'm not used to doing these things. So I think once I did open myself up, I had a really good experience off the court. And I think once you're having a good experience, wherever you are off the court, you know, the vibes and the feelings are easier on the court because you're more comfortable. Right. Um, would you say that the coast that you experienced in Tenerife is quite different from the coast of New Haven? Yes, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yes, yes, yes. hundred percent different. Just because it's more like exotic or I've never been really to the East Coast. I've been to New York. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I don't know the East Coast coastline at all. Yeah, well, it's... It's cold for one. It's right. cold in East Coast. It's a city filled. It's really urban. It's not really suburban, more or less. There's noise all the time where you could be sleeping and there's trucks going. It's, it's just busy, I can say. And I guess in Tenerife, it was a lot more slowed down. Yeah. And yeah, chill. Yeah, that's beautiful. I've been to uh la palma where the volcano was going off earlier this year i went there last summer before the volcano went off but now i have the desire to visit the other islands in the canaries because going to the i think it's called the Teide, is yeah. the volcano yeah. um mm -hmm. it would just be cool to go and see that but um yeah. all right so rapid fire kind of at the end here oh, um, well not not really but <laughs> i call it that anyway What's your jersey number and why? 22. Honestly, I picked it in high school and stayed with it. I liked it. There's no meaning behind 22. Okay. I just picked it and stayed with it. And you were always able to have it? Yeah, surprisingly, yeah. So it's like, why not keep it now? I have no reason behind 22. But did they, did they ask you what number, like when you went to the Mystics, did they have yes. They asked me what number I wanted. Funny story, Tanara Moore from Guernica, she actually is, well, she was 22 in college. And I remember she wrote me and was like, listen, I know you say that you wanted 22, but I love that number too. Like, you have any special reason? I'm like, listen, you want 22, you can have 22. I don't think I'm going to pick the team anyway. So <laughs> if you want it, you can. So, yes. So she was at training camp with you? 
she actually lived with me in my apartment in oh, DC. Oh, okay. I did not yeah. know that. Yes. That's awesome. Um, okay, and what would you say is your bread and butter move on the court? Woo. Anything going right hand to the basket. Okay. Pushing it in there, strength, strong, and quick, going right. Anything going right, I'm comfortable with. Okay, That's even like you prefer all the way to the rim, or do you, would you pull up? Um, I'm starting to get into my little pull-up bag, but I got some work to do with that. But definitely, I think finishing around the rim, going right hand, is bread and butter for me. Okay. And when you fly overseas, like when you went to Australia, when you came to Spain for the first time, was there any sort of food product or anything you brought in your suitcase thinking like, I need this? Yes. So I always bring seasoning with me from America, usually all-purpose seasoning, lemon pepper, Obey. I always love bringing seasoning. Food-wise, I always bring like Rice Krispie treats. I love really? Yes. <laughs> But other than that, and like hot sauces, like mango habanero sauce, hot sauce, red hot, Louisiana jerk seasoning, okay. and that's about it. You, I think you're the first person out of, I don't know how many interviews I've done, 80 something that has said Rice Krispies. Listen, Rice Krispies is, is <laughs> universal. You need them everywhere. Have you everywhere. ever actually tried to make them on your own? Because you could make them. Well, actually, do they even sell Rice Krispies in the grocery stores? Because I don't know if I've seen them. I'm not really a baker. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I can make some cookies, but Rice Krispies, I don't even think I would try and waste my time with that. Like, I okay. can make some cookies and some brownies and maybe bake a cake, but Rice Krispies, I wouldn't even do it. <laughs> well, I'm going to start looking now, but I don't think I've ever seen Rice Krispies, like the white ones. I think I've seen like the chocolate, you know, Cocoa Krispies, yeah, whatever, seen, uh, mm -hmm. but just the regular white, white. ones. I'm not sure yep. I've seen those. Okay. Rice Krispies. Rice Krispies. All right. When you were a little girl, what was your favorite board game? Candyland. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, and what about a TV show? TV show as a little girl? I'm going to just say Spongebob. Okay. Keep it. That's three. Now, the last couple of people I've interviewed have also said Spongebob. That was a little like too, it wasn't in my, um, my range, my childhood. But, um, and what about three things you usually have on your bedside table? Sleeping pills, <laughs> water, <laughs> and I'm going to say my cell phone. <laughs> okay okay and being that you're from connecticut and you guys have um you know a lot of good seafood do you like to fish have you yes. ever been fishing yes yeah yeah i've been on well my dad we fish but i'm not really good at it and i think for me i don't really like being on water so because i can swim but i think i could swim to like save my life swim you know like I wouldn't just be chilling in the water floating that's I'm a <laughs> land person more or less but okay. yes I've been fishing with my dad in the south like off the off the dock or on a boat out in the water on the boat out in the water country fishing <laughs> and what kind of fish are you catching out there so he usually catches catfish a lot they like to cook and fry catfish, mm -hmm. but other than that, yeah, I don't know. Okay. And then lastly, I mean, you're an East Coast gal, uh, but I can't say that I really can tell an accent. Like if I were to meet you without knowing where you were from, I don't think I'd be able to, to put my finger on it. Is there a typical Connecticut East Coast accent? Uh, it's more of a New York accent. I think a lot of people know whether you're from the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, by the way they pronounce their words or the words they may put within, a, like in the sentence. Your, your sentence structure will tell okay. you a lot of things about where you're from or the things you would say. Would you know that I was from Minnesota? No. No? Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I think my accent has changed a little bit maybe because I, I remember interviews from high school and I would listen to them. Oh man, I had a bad Minnesota accent. It was like, 
yeah, we can really shoot the ball. And, you know, it was bad. <laughs> so, well, Nay, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Um, I'm glad I got to get to know you a little bit better. And, uh, you know, good luck this summer, whatever you're up to. And we'll see, we'll see where you're at next year. Thank you, Les. All right, that's a wrap for this week's episode. Talking with Tanea was fun, and I really enjoyed learning about her athletic and academic journeys. She's a five-year professional vet, but it sounds like she's still humble and well aware of how precious a professional career can be. Sometimes here today and gone tomorrow. I'm hoping to see her for several more years in the Spanish League, though. And the next time we see each other, she might just meet our new babe. Nay, are you listening? Isn't that just wild? (laughs) To think we'll be adding another human being to our family in just a couple months still blows my mind. Life is really something else. Anyway, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And before you go, do me a quick favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate the show. It'll take just a minute and believe it or not, but your support can actually help get the word out to future listeners. Signing off for this week, I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week. Hasta pronto. Ciao.